just as we start, uh, let's pray. Then I'm going to read the passage from 1 Corinthians 7. Let's pray. Some words from 1 Corinthians. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Father God, thank you that we've been bought at a price that we're sanctified in Christ Jesus, that we're called to be his holy people, that we're washed, that we're sanctified, that we're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, that we're your temple and that your Spirit lives among us. And so we pray this morning that you would be our teacher and that we would own our new identities by your power and for your glory. Amen. Let me read from 1 Corinthians 7. You'll find it um, written out in the service sheets, uh, in, the, in the booklets. Um, and if you want to see those Bibles on the table as well, we'll follow it on your phone. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 16. Now for the matters you wrote about, writes the Apostle Paul, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this is a concession, What's the command? I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One is this gift, another has that. Once upon a time back in the day, uh, then at Trinity we used to leave the welcome team to write something different on the blackboard each week outside church. And uh, they would write something that they felt related to what we were going to be learning. Um, and around that time, I was speaking on 1 Corinthians 7, I was speaking on this exact passage. And after the service, I went to collect in the blackboard just as we were clearing up the church. And I read what the welcome team had written on the blackboard that related to 1 Corinthians 7. And some had written, Today, Jeremy talks about hot stuff. <laughs> Well, um, well done for, te- for turning up to a teaching day where Jeremy talks about hot stuff. <laughs> I think that's, that's quite, quite great. Let me just say as we begin, that this isn't an easy subject for any of us, so there are lots of strong feelings around this subject. So let's deal with one another with grace, with understanding, with love. But each of us is coming from a different point of view, and each of us has different struggles. Let's love one another. Let's be careful not to generalize too much. And let me say as well that we have much to learn from one another about this subject. Marrieds and unmarrieds. Um, and we're going to talk about single people as unmarrieds for various reasons. I think the, the idea of being single sounds like you're isolated. And that is exactly what we don't want single people to, to feel. We're going to talk about people being unmarried. Let's really listen to one another and so pursue unity together. That must be the purpose of our Corinthians. We're pursuing unity together as a local church. And, and lastly, let me add that 1 Corinthians 7 addresses some very specific aspects of being married and unmarried. It's written into a very 
particular situation, a situation that the Corinthian church has written to Paul about, and Paul's doing a Q&A with the Corinthians. We, a lot of the motives that the Corinthians have might be different from the motives that we have. Um, but the rest of the Bible says plenty more, so let's look at some of the discussion later on. Please don't think that what 1 Corinthians 7 says is all the Bible has to say about being married or unmarried. It is important that we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We looked at the central section on Sunday, you remember, at verses 17 to 24. This was the principle that we drew out of that central section. This is um, what Matush was teaching us on Sunday, there is no external situation in your life that can stop you from living for Jesus today. <coughs> Who you are in Jesus is more important. Let me say that again, because that was, we're not going to look in detail at 1724. This is the principle that comes right in the middle of the chapter. There is no external situation in your life that can stop you from living for Jesus today. Who you are in Jesus is more significant. Let's see that worked out in verses 1 to 16. I'm really going to kind of walk us through the text. We're going to go through the text, and then I'll draw a couple of conclusions at the end, and then it's over to you to discuss around the tables. Paul starts with a simple point, really, in verses 1 to 6, and this is what we're calling it. Sex and married people are duty to give. Sex and married people are duty to give. Can you see that? Verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is what the Corinthians are saying. They've, they've concluded that all sex is wrong if you're a serious Christian. Um, we said a couple of weeks ago that uh, we're to flee sexual immorality in the same way that I once fled from a, a, a charging bull that was, that was coming towards me, I ran towards the sea. That is absolutely true. But we're not to conclude that all sex is wrong, but we're to run away from all sex. Christians have sometimes said that in Christian history. They've said that if you're serious about God, that you won't have sex at all. Like Roman Catholic priests and, and their vow of celibacy. And goodness knows how much heartache and disaster and terrible harm has been caused by that. Read my lips, says Paul. Spirituality doesn't mean celibacy. That's an important principle. Spirituality doesn't mean celibacy. Christian married couples who are serious about discipleship don't have to stop having sex. Okay, verse 2. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. In other words, in situations where a husband and wife decide they're not going to sleep together because they're too spiritual, sometimes, tragically, it's going to cause sexual immorality in other areas. You see what Paul's saying? So, verse 3, the husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Can you see how symmetrical this is? This is radical teaching for the first century. Husband is wife. Uh, wife. Uh, husband. Husband is wife. Is that so balanced, so equal? So to one. Verse 5 Do not deprive one another. Literally, the word means defraud one another. It's a kind of stealing. 
literally um, do not defraud one another, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Let me just say a few things that Paul isn't saying, because I think this part of the Bible is being misused at times. Paul isn't saying that marriage is sex on demand. That's an important thing to say. Marriage is not sex on demand. No one has the right to sex within marriage um, at any, on any given occasion. And, and Paul isn't applying this principle to people who can't have sex for whatever reason. And sometimes that can happen within marriage. And Paul definitely isn't saying, and this is the most tragic use of this passage, I think, in the past, Paul definitely isn't saying you can blame your sexual immorality on your marriage partner. That would be a cruel thing to do. And it's wrong. But he is saying this very, very gently. But if as a married couple you've decided that your love life is over, that can't be a good condition. Can you see that? Now it might take something to get back what you once had. Maybe you need some more rest. Maybe you need some treatment for depression. Maybe you just need to stop your kids sleeping in the bed. You know, whatever it is, then it's time to take action. Giving up on sex can never be something that you're at peace about if you're a married couple. And it's true, very sadly, in, uh, in middle age particularly, um, that couples can, can stop sleeping together. It can happen almost imperceptibly. One person in an interview that I read um, put it like this. When sex disappears, you don't necessarily know it at the time. There's no announcement. No resetting of hormones for each of you, no discussion that starts with, I'm thinking I'll never want to have sex again. Are you okay with this? It's just gone. One day, perhaps months or years later, you realise that the last time you had sex together was the last time you would ever have sex together. Paul says that's not a conclusion that you, that you want to reach. If you're in that situation, then please, 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 let us know. Sex and married people are teaching to give. In, in fact, Paul says in, in verses 8 and 9, we'll come back to verse 7 in a minute, and I think the footnote is the best translation here. He says, um, verse 8, now to the unmarried, or you see the footnote, or widowers, in other words, men who've lost their wives, and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Again, um, this is a very specific situation. So these are men and women whose marriage partner has died. And Paul says, it's okay for them to stay single. That's a great option. But if they've been in a marriage relationship and they want to carry on expressing their sexuality, they should marry. And verse 9 is very positive in the original. Um, if they lack self-control, let them marry. Um, if they don't uh, want to uh, avoid being in a sexual relationship, then getting married is absolutely fine. And let me say, that's not the only reason, after your marriage partner has died, to get married. The Bible has plenty of other things to say about reasons to get married, and we might get onto that a bit later on. But this is a perfectly good one. If you feel you need to be in a sexual relationship, that's not wrong, says Paul. That's not a wrong thing. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. Let them marry. In fact, back to verse 7. I want you to be as I am, says Paul. Maybe he means being single, as possible. Maybe he means being holy and devoted to Jesus. That's also possible. He's already told them back in chapter 4 to imitate him. 
And it may just be a general call to the earth here. But in, in whatever gift, in other words, whatever situation God has placed you in, yeah? Whether God's given you an unmarried situation or a married one, be like Paul in devotion to the Lord. Sex and marriage people, a Jesus gift. Spirituality doesn't mean celibacy. That's Paul's point. Nor, and here's the second point. Nor does spirituality mean separation. You can see that in verses 10 to 16. Can you see that? Separation and a married person are tied to reconcile. And we said to married people who, who want to be spiritual, Paul gives three pieces of advice. Firstly, he says this in verses 10 to 11. Say no to separation. And to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. In other words, the Lord that he's referring to here is Jesus Christ himself, and he's basing what he's saying on what Jesus says in Matthew 19. That's the point. So the man not give this command, not like the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and her husband must not divorce his wife. Now Paul's saying, uh, in, in a general sense, like Jesus in Matthew 19, or, or we've seen recently in Mark's Gospel as well, that turning towards discipleship is turning away from divorce. Now, religions like Islam make divorce very easy for men. You might know that, but Sunni Muslim can say, I divorce you three times without witnesses, that's called a triple talaq, and he can send his wife away as a divorcee. And very sadly, sometimes, so my brother tells me he lives in the Muslim country, um, uh, husbands will say, I divorced you twice as a threat to their wives, and then they only have to say it once more. Life following Jesus is not to be like that. It is not to be like that. The Bible says other things about divorce, we might look at later on, some is tragically necessary when there's been adultery or domestic abuse. Uh, you might have experienced divorce, in which case, and I say I'm sorry. Sometimes marriage relationships have been irretrievably broken. But in general, we can go back to the words of Jesus, saying no to separation. Remain in your situation. Paul's going to make that point in 17 to 24. We know that. That's his first piece of advice. But once again, Paul takes it further. Here's his second piece of advice. Persevere, even within a mixed marriage. Persevere, even within a mixed marriage. Christian or Christian marriage. And that's verses 12 to 14. Dawn once uh, met somebody who lived around the corner in Eastbourne. And this lady said to Dawn, um, I'm fed up being married to not Christian. Um, I wish we could go to church together. I wish we could celebrate Jesus together. I'm just thinking that God might be wanting me to find a nice Christian man who I could be married to. Notice this book. Even in a mixed marriage, Persevere. Look at verses 12 to 14. So the rest I say this, I am not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise her children will be unclean. And as it is, they are holy. And Paul's envisaging uh, a marriage between a Christian and a non-Christian. Uh, what then, Paul? What, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, Paul says, this teaching is from me, verse 12. It has the same authority, but it has a different source. 
Uh, it's going to be incredibly hard. Sometimes marriage can be the loneliest place on earth. Some of the loneliest people that I know are married. But there are positives. Verse 14. The non-Christian part is, is sanctified by the Christian part. That, that doesn't mean to say they become a Christian. But it means that there are some benefits of Christian marriage. Some of the grace of Christian marriage, if you like, is borrowed from the gospel. There are some things about, about being a, a loyal husband or, or, or a loyal wife. Um, which are full of wisdom. And, and it will bless your marriage if even one of those partners is putting those things into practice. And then um, verse 14, your children too have some of those benefits. Um, a child with one believing parent is in some way holy, verse 14, holy. Maybe, maybe they'll have uh, bedtime stories from the Bible. At the very least, if you're a Christian, they'll have your prayers. Your, your marriage partner can't stop you praying. It's a great thing, isn't it? You'll be praying for your children, even if your husband or wife might want to join you. So simple, persevere, even with a mixed marriage. But then, lastly, and sadly, there might be a right time for divorce. That comes in verses 15 and 16. But if the believer leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know that? Whether you'll save your husband, or how do you know husband? that you'll save your life. Sometimes tragically, and I've seen this happen in people's lives, sometimes non-Christian husbands or wives will, will leave. Sometimes they'll be saved. Who knows, by 16, says Paul. Maybe they'll become Christian, but often in my experience, they won't. And there's the right time if people want to go to let them go. Now, I've said that there are other times when divorce might be appropriate. Matthew 19 says when the other party's been unfaithful. But this is, this is another reason when, when they're not a Christian, they ask to go. Is remarriage possible after that? Well, verse 15, where a Christian has clearly been deserted and they've tried hard to be reconciled, they one of Paul's instructions, the Bible says that the, the party that's been left is not bound, which I, I take it to mean that they can remarry. Do ask questions about that if, if, if you want to. But the main point is clear, separation of the married person a time to reconcile. Spirituality doesn't mean separation. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, I know, in just a second. Um, it's going to be time for discussion. Let, let me just say this again, though, um, before that. Whatever mistakes we've made in the past, and all of us are sexual sins, whatever mistakes we've made in the past, we can be washed, we can be sanctified, we can be justified. We've been bought at a price. Press for that. And let me just summarise the three things. You'll see the bullet points on the handout, then we'll spend time in discussion. The first one is this. Spirituality serves God in the everyday. Spirituality serves God in the everyday. Do you notice how the Corinthians wanted to make sudden changes to their lives, to, to cancel sex with their marriage or, or to leave their marriage partners behind? to make sort of radical changes, to make big disjunctions in their lives. But Paul says something radically different. He says, if you're married, stay married and enjoy your physical relationship. Um, if you're married, don't separate from your husband or wife. In other words, serve God in every day in the ordinary. It's important. Authentic holiness is found at home in committed and devoted marriages. 
So secondly, please pay for, pray for perseverance in marriage relationships. Um, keeping going in marriage can be very difficult. And we want to support um, those of us at church who are conducting marriage relationships. Sometimes sexual relationships are stopped or separation looks like the, the best option. Married couples need the support of the whole church, married and unmarried. And 1 Corinthians says that there are there are a number of things that we're going to flee, and you'll know this as we be going through the book, flee idolatry, flee immorality, injustice, self-service, arrogance, divisiveness, and every sort of worldliness. But we're not to flee our marriages. That's the area of our lives where we commit, as we commit to the Lord Jesus Christ. We will need each other's prayers in order to persevere. Because we have new identities in Jesus. That's a wonderful thing. That we belong to the temple. We're being dwelt by his spirit. Uh, we're going to commit ourselves to him. There is no external situation in, in your life that can stop you from living for Jesus today. Who you are in Jesus is more significant. Or as Paul puts it at the end of chapter 6, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let's pray, sir. Heavenly Father, thank you for such clear advice. Uh, to married couples. I, I, I pray, Father, that we be united as a church uh, in pursuing this goal and supporting marriages. And thank you, Father, for all the Bible says about marriage. Thank you that it images the sort of relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. Thank you that whatever mistakes we find, we can be forgiven and restored in your spirit as available. And so I pray, Father, we will be the kind of church where marriages are supported uh, by uh, people uh, who might have made mistakes in their marriages are encouraged if you can, where we encourage each other to depend on Jesus Christ to maintain the marriage relationships that we're in. Please, Father, uh, unite us as a team to, to that end. And heal the glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Let's, uh, let's, let's ask some questions. Um, first of all, we've had quite a number of questions about which I've just... Oh, I'll get that in a sec. Um, so we've got lots of questions about how can married couples be accountable? Um, how does the Bible show us they should be? Like specific, uh, I'll come back to that. Um, uh, how can we become more accountable? As a person who can keep others accountable, I mean, made accountable, what could we be doing at Trinity to facilitate accountability? So accountability for, um, is obviously important for all of us, um, but may speak particularly to some of the challenges um, about marriage. Jeremy, do you want to pick us up on that? Um, I was just saying that I don't have yeah. that much here as well. Right. Um, yeah, let, let me say that, um, I mean, Paul is the chapter by saying, um, I too have the story to book. And that some of the best marriage advice that we've had as a married couple from other people has been from single people. So um, um, uh, if, if you're a single person, and again, I think sometimes it's useful just to have a few people that you're accountable to, please ask you how you're doing as a Christian. Um, and we have that, married and um, unmarried people. Um, he asked us about our marriage, and we're very, very grateful for that. Um, and um, uh, there were some of us asked us difficult questions. 
And I have a private triplet that I meet up with, and three times a year, we meet up in Liverpool. And one of the questions is, when was the last time you bought your wife flowers? But that's um, just a sort of superficial symptom really, of how, how your marriage is going. Yeah, too, too long, too long. So, um, uh, I think it can talk about these things. I, I think it, it's, it's not helpful, and we'll come on to this later on, if, if, if everyone's asking you all the time. But I think to have a few people that you're accountable to see, um, and he can open up to, is very healthy as a Christian. Um, married and unmarried people. Thank you. I think also the... Um, the fact that marriages were doing out of preference for Christ were married in, and, that, and, that, um, and that this is working on your marriage, it's not a sign of it being a disaster. Um, working on your marriage is, is working as a reward in that sense. And so having an honesty about it, we don't have to be ashamed of it. We don't have to be ashamed of asking, please, we you pray we haven't had much time together, or we've got more children, or um, there's a particular decision coming up. I think also, particularly if there's a big decision coming up, and and it's hard and you're not of one mind about it, it's good to disclose that to certain people, to really ask people to pray for it. But I think the fact that we're all um, in God's people, one of the amazing things about being part of God's people is that you should share that common identity in Christ and so when somebody's asking you a question about your marriage they're not trying to insult you they're trying to encourage you to live for Jesus great thank you um, can we just follow up on that because one of the questions about accountability and there are a couple of other questions about this as well um, uh, thinking specifically in regards to sex that's obviously a really big challenge to um, uh, remain sexually active within marriage um, so someone's asked how many times a month would be a healthy amount to be united sexually? Is there any guidance or ideas about, about that? Um, yeah, that would be helpful to speak into that. No. <laughs> uh, uh, this, this is about the motivation of, of heart and about uh, having a healthy marriage. And different couples will work that out very, very differently. Um, the Bible says nothing about um, uh, it could do, but it doesn't. And I think um, it's much more about is your marriage healthy, is, is your physical relationship healthy, rather than um, uh, sort of frequency or anything like that. Yeah. Good. I was just going to add to that because we were talking on our table. And, like, for example, a challenge I had early on in marriage was for ministers, my minister's wife at the time, who I had just told her something about how I was feeling, and she asked if I'd told Jeremy. And I hadn't. And she thought that was a she thought that was a problem because of the um, because it's out now. Yeah. No, but she thought that was a problem and challenged me to go back to Ephesians five because she said it's a beautiful picture and it's a picture of you. And so I think I I, I learned from that 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 no matter how tired someone is and you were really shattered at the time. She said, well, if you're feeling it, he has to know it. And I think it's on that level that these matters can also relate, if that makes sense. Thank you. Um, it's worthwhile thinking as well, 
obviously they're um, I'm an unmarried person, um, but there are other unmarried people in this room. How, um, how do you think unmarried people respond to this part of 1 Corinthians 7? So unmarried believers respond to this part of 1 Corinthians 7? Adam, I'm going to ask you that question, and then I'll have a go as well. I just want to pick up on one of the things that we were talking about on our table in, in the sense of um, unmarried and married uh, people keeping each other accountable and sharing struggles because um, my temptation as an unmarried person is if I'm struggling with something is to go to my unmarried friends to talk about it and this would be like an echo chamber you know, isn't it so hard being single or whatever um, but actually it's, it's, it's very good for us to share our struggles with married friends and married friends to share their struggles with us as well because there's always a temptation to idolise the situation that you're not in and I think we're honest about our struggles and the joys. Um, uh, that's helpful for both sides. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah. And I was thinking, um, just listening to Jeremy talk about um, like the, the seriousness of commitment to sex, the seriousness of um, persevering, um, whether it's you're persevering in a marriage with an unbelieving spouse or you're persevering um, just through difficulty and through ups and downs. And I know very often in my head, um, very wrongly, I will uh, think about my married friends and I'll kind of go, well, well they're okay because they're married. Um, and I, I think what struck me um, quite strongly, well, both of those things are really strong. So I, I hope if you're married here today, you've heard both of those things very strongly, um, that, that the Lord is, um, is encouraging you to, to those ends to persevere in marriage and to particularly in the, in the realm of sex and, and that being a service to your spouse. But also, um, I think, um, like, it's just a good reminder to me that must be so difficult. Um, and I'm very aware of my own struggles as an unmarried person, but that must be so difficult. So am I praying? Am I properly praying for my married friend? If you're an unmarried person here today, don't assume that the married people in the room um, and we'll come to the other side of the story later, but don't assume that the other people, that, that your married friends or that married people at church, I think are, um, are, are basically just okay. I can't imagine how difficult it is to have sex when you don't, you know, when you feel like you're not in the mood or I can't imagine how difficult it is um, to kind of like talk to your husband or wife when you feel like maybe they're, you can't unburden yourself because they seem particularly burdened or um, or just, you know, for whatever's going on, you're not communicating well with each other in that moment. Um, like, those, those, when I stop and think about them, must be awful burdens and responsibilities that, that married people bear. And as an unmarried person, I want to be, I'm, I'm, I feel like from today, I'm more encouraged to be praying more significantly, more often. Um, and also then, like Adam was saying, sort of when I do have conversations with a married friend who might be saying, oh, this is difficult, um, that, I, that I know from here what to encourage them in <laughs> um, as well, not just to kind of go, oh, oh that's, that does sound difficult. I, I guess it's good to point people to truth, isn't it? Um, great, okay. Um, maybe this is uh, not unrelated to that, but what does it look like to work at a marriage? 
Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a difficult question to answer because you can always you know, be aware of your own failures. Um, I think, I mean, it, so communication is so key to manage. I think um, uh, two things, I'll say two things briefly and then John Hart will address the room and watch other things. I think firstly, staying close, staying close to the Lord. I think um, um, uh, it's really important for your marriage and for your marriage partner that you're spending time in prayer and uh, and, and learning uh, from the Lord. And you know, I'm aware that when I have when I have regular quiet times and when I'm, when I'm staying close to Jesus, I'm just a better husband because Jesus has, has changed me. And so it's not just responsibility for my own heart, it's responsibility for my marriage partner as well. Uh, that I'm learning from Jesus and, and confessing my sins and, 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 and praying. I think the second thing I'd say is, and, and people sometimes say to us, you know, how do you grow a marriage? I, I think that the easiest answer I could give to that, um, and I think Dawn was looking at the book of James where it talks about being quick to listen, so to speak, and so to speak. Um, sometimes a good way to grow marriage is to ask good questions and really listen to the answers. And I think just fostering that communication where people feel safe to talk and where you're really listening to what your marriage partner's saying, I think that's a great way to grow marriage. And I think also on the point of, of quiet times, um, spending time in God's Word together is really wonderful. And I think one of the most there is an incredible thing for me, having seen fractured marriages in all of my non-Christian family, is being in a marriage where you can say sorry and the other person forgives you. It's incredible. And I'm so grateful to God for that. And for living with another Christian and seeing someone, seeing God work in their heart and seeing a humble person lead to Christ is, is incredibly encouraging. And I think, for example, going on holiday and having a commentary or a book of the Bible that you're going to look up together in a dedicated, specific way, if it, you can't do that day by day because things are too, too tough, um, too many things going on. But if you've got a little bit of time together for a week off, choose a book of the Bible together. Have a bit of time beforehand where you think, what book do you want to look at? What book do you want to look at? And mull it over, really think it over, and then go on holiday. And first thing, not not specifying that's a bit too specific, but you know, first thing in the morning, you could all wait up. You could um, read it, talk about it, and then it frames the rest of the day. That kind of thing. Um, those kind of things. And also, a particularly one time a week in a specific way, I don't want to make a rule. Um, one time when you can look forward to and know that on that particular time you will have the other person's attention. Thank you. Um, how are we doing for time? Um, we've got about five minutes. Great, okay. Um, we've got some technical questions. We've got a couple of questions about who, who is it okay to marry? Um, and I don't know whether we want to save these for the Next session, yeah, yeah. Um, we won't forget these, we will come back to them, okay? Um, uh, because that comes up in the second half of um, 1 Corinthians 7. Um, how, so a few, these are questions for Jeremy, I'm going to guess. 
But um, how do we understand the words I, not the Lord, in chapter 7, verse 12, and similarly in verse 25? Is this less authoritative than the rest of God's words that's inspired by the Holy Spirit? How can we explain this? Um, thank you. Let me, um, uh, I'm going to ask you first, and to the marriage of this command, not I, but the Lord. Um, of like, no, that's just not that one. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. Um, if any further is not, let's believe that. So, um, and someone very helpfully points out on our table that at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, Paul is called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And um, uh, so he has all the authority um, in terms of uh, writing scripture uh, that's been given to him by Christ Jesus. So there's no difference in authority uh, between what Jesus write, uh, what Jesus uh, uh, says in the Gospels and, and what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. Um, I mean, it's worth saying, um, and you know, by all means, talk about this a bit more, sort of red-letter Bibles um, seem to, I know it's too controversial, but they seem to emphasise the words of Jesus over and above the other words in the New Testament. I've, I've got a red-letter Bible, and I just ignore them, but, um, uh, but I'm, I'm not sure it's actually helpful. I, I went to an Anglican Catholic church, and in fact, just down to St. Mark's on a, on a Sunday morning, this morning, there will be a special procession, special music, when the gospel is read, rather than any part of the rest of the Bible. I'm not sure that's helpful. Um, uh, the words of Jesus have, has the same authority um, as the words of the Apostle Paul. I think he's just making a distinction. I think he's saying, um, he's saying that actually Jesus says this specifically, um, uh, against divorce. Um, Jesus doesn't say what Paul goes on to say on verse 12 so specifically. So he's saying, I, I can actually point to where Jesus says this in the Gospels, but then in verse 12 he says, I'm saying this on my own authority. Um, now that's equal authority, just different different voices. Okay, thank you. Um, so I Ongoing questions about these things. Um, let's. Uh, so the the Corinthians. Um, some Corinthians think it's spiritual not to have sexual relations at all. But yeah, we've seen in chapter five that they celebrate um, a man sleeping with a stepmother. What's going on there? <laughs> like, what is it? Is it just a corruption of everything? they've lost sight of the wisdom of the cross or yeah what how can both of these things be going on um, i think they come from opposite views of the body i mean when you start listening to god you start listening to anything and paganism is you know across the world is incredibly messed up about sex and um and so there are temple prostitutes and part of worshiping god would be going to sleep with a prostitute which is, uh, is very hard for us to understand. I think uh, there, are, there are all kinds of different mistakes going on in Corinthians, which does make it quite confusing. I think, on the one hand, it's kind of saying that, you know, it's my spirit that matters, it's, it's, it's how I feel as a Christian that matters, so what I do with my body is irrelevant. Um, I mean, who cares? And then um, there's the opposite view, which in some sense is quite similar, but in other senses is different is different, which says, um, uh, my, my body doesn't matter, it's my spirit that matters, 
and so um, uh, um, and so I'll stop having sex completely. Um, now, those are different manifestations of the same mistake in some ways, which is a misunderstanding of what your body is and, and how your body fits into a worship of God. And actually, what happens in the first century is, is, is really interesting from a historical point of view, is A, that, that, that there's much clearer sexual ethic, and secondly, that people, people have much more integrated ideas of, of how their body and their spiritual life fit together. And that all comes out of the gospel. Uh, and it's a wonderful way to live because it, you know, it's, it's holistic. Actually, I, I'm a whole person, body and soul. Um, and, uh, and God tells me very specifically, A, that I'm forgiven and I'm a, I'm, I'm a new person in Christ. And B, what that will mean for the physical things I do. Thank you, and that's maybe a good place to finish up there, and then we'll that focus on, that definitely comes out of what Paul says about sex, isn't he? Like it's a, it's an other person serving thing, <laughs> um, which is obviously a very different way to the way that our world thinks about sex. Um, and uh, the gospel, we want the gospel to be at the centre of marriage relationships and. And uh, whether we're uh, and whether we're married or unmarried, we want the gospel to be at the centre. We want the Lord Jesus Christ to be at the centre of, um, of who we are. So that's that's a good place to to wrap up. There are some questions we didn't come to. I'm going to give them to Jeremy. Um, and uh, if there are questions, um, uh, then then go and catch Jeremy, and he will happily or or any of us, but um, he will. There are some of the more technical ones, so um, he will happily answer.